Hello and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest news, explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics include Week 10 of the NFL season. We preview the games to watch and who's going to be on upset alert. Plus, should Chris Paul, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook find new teams? And will we actually see a full college football season play out? It's episode two of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. So we start this week's show by looking at week 10 in the NFL, just past the halfway point, and we're starting to see the playoff picture really take shape. Again, as I mentioned in last week's episode, seven teams will make it into the postseason this year instead of the traditional six. Now we will start with the Thursday night football game, which will be taking place tonight, which is when we are recording the episode. And of course tonight, it is the Colts and the Titans where I really think the winner of this game could decide the AFC South. You have to wonder where Indy is after blowing that lead to Baltimore and dropping that game last week. But then you've got the Titans as well, who have just been riding high. And I honestly do think that the Titans will make the postseason, whether that be they win the division or they win the wild card. But I honestly think that Tennessee... If they can win, I think they're going to solidify themselves as the AFC South champs. And I think the Colts, if they win, they're going to have a ton of confidence and possibly overtake Tennessee. So that'll be the Thursday night game. And we then go to Sunday with a couple of really interesting games. I'm keeping my eyes on a couple of Sunday games. And one of them I'm looking at are the Buccaneers and Panthers looking at 1 o'clock. And I honestly do think this is desperation time for Tampa I mean that game against New Orleans that that was an embarrassment I was an embarrassment to everyone on the Buccaneers not just the offense for only putting up three points and Tom Brady getting his worst loss of his career but the defense just they just showed that they can't match up with the Saints because they've been they've gotten beat twice now by the Saints And the Saints right now are looking like one of the favorites in the NFC. Because they're sitting right now at 6-2. They're on top of the entire NFC. Right behind them is Seattle. Followed by Green Bay. And then Tampa's all the way down in 5th after that game. And like I mentioned last week, it's a very tough NFC playoff picture. You got the Chicago Bears who are in 8th in 5-4. So Tampa cannot slip up. The Buccaneers cannot slip up because if they lose another game, they're going to find themselves on the outside looking in possibly. But again, they just need to keep winning. Although, I think after the 38-3 loss though, it feels like just a bump in the road really for Tampa. But like I said, the playoffs are so tight that you cannot have a bump in the road. You have to continue to win. But the big thing for Tampa is their defense. The defense really needs to pick up the slack. You look at what their schedule has been like so far, and they're sitting at 6-3, and but they've given up 
more than 15 points to four different good offenses, I would say. They did it to New Orleans twice, where they allowed 34 in week one, and then 38 last week. But then you've got Carolina, you gave up a ton of points, the Chargers, and the Raiders. And not only that, but you just barely squeaked past the New York Giants and gave up 23 points to them. So it's really going to be defensively, because we know about Tom Brady, we know about all the weapons Tampa has, with the returning Antonio Brown to go along with Evans, Gronk, Godwin, Cameron Brait. We know the weapons that they have. But this is going to be a real defensive win if Tampa is going to pick up the victory. Because Carolina, they're they're better than that 3-6 and six record shows. I absolutely love what they did against Kansas City, how they took them down to the wire. I know they're not going to have Christian McCaffrey, which is going to be a big loss, but I still think... Teddy Bridgewater, as I mentioned last week, is a great quarterback. I think Curtis Samuel coming into the picture is going to be a big factor. You know, don't be surprised if Carolina could possibly pick up this win if Tampa has a little bit of a hangover. But that'll be one of the games. One of the other games I'm looking at are the Chargers and the Dolphins. And I would say it's probably one of the best quarterback matchups so far this season. I know we're talking about two rookies, but their ceilings right now are so high for the Chargers and Justin Herbert they have been in virtually every game this year this is a team that is two and six but they could very well be four and and three or something like that some kind of record because they have been in every game but they just cannot close it out but with Justin Herbert he's only a rookie he's gonna have time to grow and I think within the next two or three years if the Chargers continue their way of playing, they're going to be a factor in the AFC. And I think they could be a serious challenger for the Chiefs in the next year or two. But of course, everyone's talking about Tua Tagovailoa. And I did mention last week that I didn't think the Dolphins really had a shot to hit the postseason. But look at them now. They're 5-3. and three. They leapfrogged the Browns. Of course, the Browns were on a bye week. But then you also have the Colts. And the Raiders, but again, Tua's just a rookie. You know, even if the Dolphins don't make the playoffs, you're going to say that this was a success. And not a lot of people are questioning that quarterback turn from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua Tagovailoa. But I think the Miami Dolphins, if they don't get the postseason this year, they will make it next year. Because when you think about it, I could only think of Tua Tagovailoa and Devontae Parker. That's really it for the Dolphins. But if they build up some more personnel and they get some more talent, they're going to be primed in position for a postseason run next year. Not only that, but I think depending on what the Bills could do next year, they could possibly win the division. Of course, you can't count out the Patriots. You can't count out the Bills. But the Dolphins, I think, have one of the brightest future right now. But if they want to get to the postseason... They have to win now because of the end of the year. When you get to week 14, they're going to play the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Raiders, and the Bills. Okay, that is not an easy four games to end your season. So the Dolphins, they have to win now to get themselves into the postseason if they want a shot at it right now. But again, Justin Herbert, he's got just as high a ceiling as Tua right now. And that's going to be a fun game to watch.
One of the other games I'm also watching, Bills and Cardinals. I think that is going to be the game of the week. Because, I mean, come on. You got Josh Allen and Kyler Murray, another great quarterback matchup. But I seriously think with what Buffalo did against Seattle last week, winning 44-34, their confidence is at an all-time high right now. Okay, they put up 44 points on Seattle. And, yes, the defense still needs a little bit of work. They gave up 34 points to Seattle, which is a great offense. But I think just Josh Allen, he has solidified himself as an MVP candidate. I still think that Russell Wilson is the favorite right now to win the MVP. But Josh Allen is just making it a close, close race. But I think Buffalo, they're just going to be riding high right now. They're sitting in the third spot. They're sitting at 7-2. and two, And I think they just proved themselves last week against Seattle. And the confidence is going to be right there to say, hey, we are an elite team. And we should be taken seriously come playoff time. Because really, no one else is challenging the Bills right now in the AFC, uh, in the AFC East, minus the Miami Dolphins, who are two games back. But I think the Bills right now are now to be taken seriously after that win against Seattle. Because, I mean, Josh Allen, 415 yards and three touchdowns against what many thought were the Super Bowl favorites in the Seahawks last week. And now you get to face another NFC West opponent in the Cardinals who are just as good as Seattle. And if they can win this game, I think that this is going to be a team that people look at and say, I don't know if I want to face them in the postseason because they are a very good team. So that's something I'm going to be watching out for. And another game I'm watching for, Bengals and Steelers. I know the big story right now is Ben Roethlisberger on the COVID list right now. And I think if he stays on that list and he doesn't play, the Steelers aren't going to win. I think the Bengals, they're not great, but they are good enough to beat a Ben Roethlisberger-less Pittsburgh Steelers team. Joe Burrow is very good. You cannot overlook them. And I do think they're going to make it a little bit of a challenge for Pittsburgh. I know Pittsburgh's sitting at 8-0 right now. And they're only a half game up right now on Kansas City in the AFC. But I think the Bengals, you have to take them seriously. Because Joe Burrow, he's been on a little bit of a hot streak. I know it doesn't look like it with that 2-5-1 record. But I think Cincy is really someone to watch out for if you're Pittsburgh. You can't overlook this. But I will go with full confidence... I will go with full confidence and say if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't play, the Steelers get their first loss of the season. And then the last game I'm looking at, obviously, is the Sunday night game, Ravens and Patriots. And we'll talk about the Patriots later on in our Let's Get Local segment. But I want to talk about the Ravens for this game upcoming on Sunday night. And I honestly am not as confident in Baltimore after the last couple of weeks, I would say, with the loss to Pittsburgh and then having to come from behind against Indianapolis. I don't think they're as good this year as they were last year. And I tend to agree with Lamar Jackson what he what he said uh, about his coaching staff, is that defenses know how to game them because they are kind of like a college team. You know, you get the options of you pitch it to the running back or the quarterback just takes it himself. That's the big problem right now. And I think the Ravens just need some versatility. 
They have Lamar Jackson. That's good. And I do think that they will get to the postseason. But I just think they need a better game plan. They need to get a little bit creative with their game plays. Because you can't rely on Lamar Jackson's athleticism so much. You have to incorporate a nice balance back and forth of the option plays and then him throwing the ball. But I just don't, I'm not as confident as the Ravens this year as I was a year ago. They're sitting in the fifth spot right now. And I think after the game against Pittsburgh, people think that the Steelers are going to win that division. And then it's going to be that Ravens in the wild card spot. But again, it's going to come down to the postseason as well. Can Lamar Jackson do it in the postseason? I mean, we're entering year number four. People still think he just can't get it in the postseason. So that is how the Ravens look. And I just don't think I have a lot of confidence. But I do think with every game on tap, it's going to be a very exciting week 10 in the NFL. all about the NBA and the rumors are swirling all over the place with less than a week until the NBA draft and once we hit the draft that means the offseason is going to begin and one of the biggest stories that just came out was that the Oklahoma City Thunder have discussed with the Phoenix Suns a possible trade for future Hall of Famer Chris Paul and honestly I I don't know why Chris Paul would want to leave the Thunder Okay, the Thunder are looking for veteran leadership, and Chris Paul provides that. He took a Thunder team that was supposed to tank. They were supposed to tank and get a lottery pick, and he brought them to the sixth spot. And not only that, but they went to a game seven and were one good possession away from beating the Rockets. Okay, so I don't know why. Why why would he want to leave? Okay, Chris Paul looks like he's having a ton of fun. Okay, I don't know if the Thunder, the Thunder just have a really good job of, they don't tank, okay, they just transition. Again, everyone thought this was going to be a blow it away year, that nothing was going to happen, and look what they did. They made the postseason, they challenged the Rockets, why would Chris Ball want to leave? Why would they trade him? That just doesn't make any sense, because when you're looking at a transition sort of thing, you're trying to help have Chris Ball influence the young talent that the Thunder have. They have Steven Adams as a great center. You develop him. You got Shea Gilgis Alexander, Dort, Noel, Schroeder. They have so many of this young talent. You need to continue with the transition. Alright? You can't tank. I, I never like that anyway. I don't like when any teams tank to try and get that. They just automatically throw in the towel. Okay, it's all about transition, and the Thunder are primed to transition to a better record, and it's going to start and end with Chris Paul, and earlier in the week, I thought that was the big story, but then later on in the week, news came out that James Harden and Russell Westbrook had no idea what's going on with the Rockets' future, and just a day ago... Reports are coming out that Russell Westbrook wants to be traded. And honestly, I didn't even like the move. 
to Houston when he got traded from Oklahoma City. Because it just seems like with his play style, he doesn't quite fit. He's kind of an iso ball, I'm the star sort of play. Where he just has the ball and takes over. But you know who that sounds like? It sounds like James Harden. That's his kind of style of play. So I just never saw the two really mesh together. And I don't really see... I didn't really see a future that had a championship in it. I really didn't. Because the Rockets' offense are... Give Harden the ball. Isolate it. He either drives for a layup... Or he kicks it out for another player for a three-pointer. And Russell Westbrook never had those three-point numbers. Okay, he's a career 30-and-a-half three-point shooter percentage-wise. And he had his second-worst three-point percentage this year to his second year in the league in 2009-2010. Okay, so I never saw this duo as a winning combination. I just didn't. And I think Westbrook... He deserves a better team. He needs a team where he needs to be the star. All right? I don't think he does well on a two-superstar kind of thing. He do, He's not good taking a step back and sacrificing his talent because this is a triple-double machine that Westbrook has, and he needs to go to a place where he's going to be the focus of that offense. A lot of rumors are circling around, possibly the Suns, as we mentioned with Chris Paul, there's talks about the Knicks. There's talks about the Clippers. Although I think the Knicks have to be the favorite because they have the most young talent right now to give up. Because with Phoenix, they already have their offense set. The ball is going to be run through Devin Booker, and he's going to be the leader of that offense. He's going to be one to score all those points. So if you bring in Russell Westbrook, again, it's a step back sort of thing where he's not going to be the focal talent. Okay, Westbrook needs to go to a team where he's the star. But meanwhile, for James Harden, he said that he wants to stay in Houston. But honestly, if he just stays in Houston, I don't see him picking up a, picking up a ring. I don't see them becoming a legitimate threat. Because James Harden, yes, he's a great scorer. But he does not have the playmaking ability to enforce himself on offenses like other great teams. You look at teams like the Lakers who won last year. Yes, they have their stars in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But that was spread around. It was a spread around offense where it wasn't just Harden leading the way with 48 points every single time. Just James Harden's style of play doesn't work. It doesn't work. It scores and it wins games, but it doesn't win championships. It just doesn't. I, I hate to break it to you, but James Harden's iso ball and his step-back threes can be good, but it can't take you a step further. It just can't. And James Harden, as long as he stays in Houston and as long as he stays in the league, I believe he's just not going to get a ring. I don't think he's going to win a championship because his style of play is not fit for a championship team. All right? They, the Houston does have Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker. But again, this isn't just on Harden. This is on the Rockets. I mean, what direction are they going in? Do they really think small ball was going to win games? 
when you have your center at six foot eight, you need size in this league. And the Rockets, they need it. They shouldn't have given away Clint Capella. They should not have traded him. And the personnel they have right now kind of reminds me of what the Celtics did a couple years ago when Kyrie Irving was in his last season. And they had a healthy Gordon Hayward. They had Al Horford, Rozier, Tatum, Brown, Smart. They had all this talent, but it was just a dysfunctional locker room. And that's what's going on with Houston right now. Houston is the dysfunctional locker room right now of the NBA. They're the dysfunctional organization. And I don't see a title anytime soon. But if they do, it's going to be without James Harden because his style of play is not fit to win a title. But that just means this offseason, it's going to be a lot of fun. So keep your eyes out on the NBA. into the hardest part of the season. And I'm not talking about the conference games and how difficult they might be. I'm talking about the surge of COVID-19 cases. We've so far seen four SEC games postponed this week. And then we've seen three Big Ten games so far this year get postponed. And now some people are wondering... Will we see a full college football season? And I honestly don't think we will. I don't think we'll last until December. Because when you look at college football, the surge right now in cases of COVID-19 are on school campuses and in school communities. And on a college campus, it's that much harder because you have so many outside forces to deal with on a college campus. Not only do you have the players, and the coaches, but you have everyone else who's on campus. You have so many factors to think about in a college campus. And I honestly think it is very hard because that is harder to contain when you have that many people. When you look at like what the NBA and the MLB did, they had their bubble format and they didn't have to worry about so many people. You know, with with a football team, yes, it's 53 players, a dozen or so coaching staff, and then a few practice squad guys. That's probably, let's give or take, it's about 70 to 80 people. Okay? So you're factoring all of that into a college football team, but then you're adding thousands and thousands of other college students, college professors, college staff and all that that just makes it that much harder to contain so I really just don't think that college seasons are going to go as smoothly as some people think you know they've only some some of these conferences have only been playing for a couple of weeks or about a month a month and a half whereas you have the NFL they started in September And it took them a little while to get a little mojo going, get something flowing, kind of similar also to the MLB when they started up in the summer. Obviously, there is some science in the fact that COVID was not 
it didn't have the surge in the summer that it did transitioning into the fall and into the winter. But you're talking about your surroundings as well. And the campus community in colleges just makes it that much harder to contain this kind of virus and to have a full season play out. Because they have not had that many weeks to prepare to fine-tune the guidelines and all that. And there are so many conferences that have so many teams. You look at the SEC, they have two divisions, an SEC East and an SEC West. And with that many schools and that many people, that is extremely hard to try and get together. But again, they just have not had enough time to pull their resources, to come up with a full routine, to come up with a plan B if someone catches COVID, a plan C to see if the games will keep going. They just haven't had enough time. Okay, because there were conferences that initially said, you remember the Big Ten, they said, we're not going to have a season. And then they overturned it, and they were going to have a season. But they've only been in a season for about two or three weeks. You honestly can't tell me that this wasn't going to happen, because it was. But you just have to be prepared if you're these kind of leagues. But, you know, it is November. The season's going to end in December. We might not see some bowl games but who knows if we'll even see a full college football season. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you about my town. I'm going to tell you a big fat story, baby. It's all about my town. Now it's time to get on I-95, get onto the Mass Pike, get over the Zakem Bridge, and get local. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week and this week we're going to talk about three teams uh two of them will be in length we'll talk about the bruins the celtics and the patriots and we're actually going to start with the celtics because like i mentioned they were the teams i thought were kind of in the mid-level of free agency well i love that dirty water So for the Celtics, one of the things I mentioned that they need to improve on is they need veteran help off the bench. And I think they made some improvements in getting Jeff Teague. I think he's an established veteran that can help out and really give a good scoring chance off the bench. And Tristan Thompson, I'm I'm kind of he's kind of like one level up from Ennis Cantor. Like he's more of an offensive rebounder. And then he might be just a tad bit better defensively. But did they They kind of stood where they were. I mean, you, you lost Gordon Hayward, obviously. You lost Gordon Hayward, and that's going to be a big loss. So now your lineup, you're basically going to put Jalen Brown from the 2 to the 3, get Tatum from the 3 to the 4, and then it'll either be Daniel Tice or Tristan Thompson as your starting center. And then you insert Marcus Smart into the starting lineup. And... Honestly, to me, that just takes a step back in terms of the bench play because it, it's still a relatively young bench with the the guys you see on this list. I mean, still, Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, 
they're going into their second year, and you have uh, Robert Williams, who's only going into his third year, and then you have some players who either could take a step forward, possibly in an increased role like Carson Edwards or Taco Fall or Javante Green, and then you have a bunch of rookies. I still think this team is is too young. I think that's the problem. I think these are great players, but they still they need one more veteran, I think, off the bench. That's really what I think. And I think it's really going to have to come from the wing. If if you can get a guy on the wing who's maybe a 3 or a 4 that could come on a veteran's minimum, I think that would make your team a little bit better. Now, do we know who that is? No idea. Not not a clue who that could be. Who would come on a veteran's minimum deal? I mean, maybe Nicholas Batum? Because remember, he was waived in Charlotte, and he could get a smaller deal. But honestly, I don't know who else is out there that would want to take a minimum deal. Now, honestly... I think this is going to be the team the way it is. What what you're seeing in the roster, that's who it's going to be. That's who it's going to be for the Celtics. And I honestly just think they're they're going to stay kind of even. Maybe take a tiny, and I mean it like a fraction of a step back because of the loss of Gordon Hayward. But honestly, for an offseason, if you had to give it a grade, I think it's like a solid B. I think, you know, Tristan Thompson was a guy they really eyed up, possibly making a trade for him. He could be a nice little double-double guy. And I think having him is an upgrade uh, from Ennis Cantor. And then who knows, maybe Daniel Tice would be better suited off the bench. And then obviously Jeff Teague. You you needed an established veteran. And while Jeff Teague, I kind of looked at this and kind of thought, huh? Like, why would you sign this guy? But then you understand it because Brad Wanamaker signed out to Golden State. So having him as a backup point guard, maybe he could go into that Marcus Smart role of being the leader of that second unit. But, you know, training camp does start in early December, and then we get into the games right away, right before Christmas. So it's going to be a short time for this chemistry to sort of gel. One of the teams that's playing right now in the city of Boston is the Patriots, and I did say last week that I thought they should have won against the Texans, that they should win against the Texans, and I honestly did, I was a little nervous heading into that game, because like I said, Deshaun Watson, I think he's a better thrower than Lamar Jackson, and I just think the Texans, this was more about a Texans win than a Patriots loss, because their defense came out and they played great. I, I thought the Texans defensively did a really good job of Patriots and really made get those throws into some really tight windows. But it, it was all Deshaun Watson. I really, I think it was all Deshaun Watson. He proved why he should be considered a top 10 quarterback. And people don't believe this, but the Texans have some weapons. They have Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and... Kenny Stills. I know Kenny Stills and Randall Cobb were out for a majority of that game. But still, this Texans offense is not to be taken lightly. I know they gave up DeAndre Hopkins, but they have some good weapons at wide receiver. 
Now, that also could be a part to the Patriots struggling defensively, which I really think they did. But I think Deshaun Watson is legit. And I think that they a number one option, then I think they can get back to where they once were. But again, we're talking about the Patriots, and unfortunately, it's not going to get any easier as they have to face Kyler Murray. And the only saving grace is that they have played two teams with quarterbacks who are similar to Murray in that they can throw and run, and they're both very lethal. And so far, they're one one They stopped Lamar Jackson, but they didn't stop Deshaun Watson. But Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, man, they're just... Their offense is not made to be stopped by this Patriots defense. And I honestly think that the Patriots will go to 4-7 and seven after this game. After they play in New England and they play Arizona, I, I don't see them beating the Cardinals. The Cardinals are just too good offensively. And looking at the future, the season for the Patriots... I don't know if you can get to 8-8. Eight and eight. I could see maybe a 7-9 and nine team. And everyone's talking about Rex Burkhead and how much he's lost. But you got to remember, James White is back there. Okay, to go from Burkhead to White is, is not a bad transition. So I don't think the offense is really going to lose a step. But I just think they're not going to win against the Cardinals. Now, it doesn't get any easier... They're only playing two more teams with a sub-500 record, and that's the Chargers and the Jets. And I know I said 7-9. and nine. That's probably the best they could get at. But if I'm thinking realistically, I'm thinking maybe a 6-10 and 10 season. I think, I think they could beat the Chargers and they could beat the Jets. I don't know about the other four because they're going to be in Los Angeles two weeks in a row to play the Chargers and then the Rams. And then you got to go to Miami, where you've struggled in recent years. And then you have to host Buffalo. I don't see... I, I really don't see New England getting to a 500 record. And unfortunately, a long streak is going to be... So now it is once again that time of the week to look at the head scratcher LOL moment of the week and this is a pretty special one because achieve this award we've had two in the NFL and one in the PGA but this is the very first one to go into the NBA and the head scratcher LOL moment of the week is going to go to Dwight Howard. Now, he's Dwight Howard's a character. I'll tell you that. He's a character in terms of really just head-scratching and wondering what is the basis behind his decisions. And you're starting to understand why he's bounced around for so many years and why he's been on, I want to say it's five different teams in five consecutive seasons. Because remember, he was a standstill with Orlando. Then he went to the Lakers for a year. He was with the Rockets for two years. And then he bounced around like crazy. He went to Atlanta, Charlotte, Washington, and then back with the Lakers. And now he's on a new team with the Philadelphia with the Philadelphia 76ers. 
and the circumstances that that happened were the head scratcher. So what Dwight Howard did on Twitter is he tweeted out that he's coming back to the Lakers, that he's going to re-sign. And then someone whispered in his ear and said, you should sign with the Sixers. And he did. And so he took back that Twitter or that tweet immediately. And everyone is kind of laughing their brains out at Dwight Howard. Really? Do you want to really make that assumption? I know the Lakers wanted to re-sign him. I know that. But to go to the Sixers, which I'll get into the Sixers in just a little bit, but Dwight, the you don't want to tweet anything until it becomes official. And he's trying to make the excuse of, oh, there was miscommunication. That's the excuse for everything. This was all Dwight Howard. Okay? He tweeted without even signing anything. You know, this this is probably worse than the uh, Bogdanovich thing where they traded where they traded him from the Kings to the Bucks and then he said he never agreed to that. This is funnier than that. Dwight tweets he's going to return and then it turns out he's not. And you know what's similar to that? It's as similar as how he left the Lakers the first time. Is that he kind of Gave the middle finger to Los Angeles saying, hey, it was great. Thanks for giving me a ring and giving me a chance to win. But it's time for me to go elsewhere. Now, do I think Dwight Howard fits with the Sixers? Eh, Time will tell. Time will tell. Because that team is centered around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And the Sixers, again, they're a team for me that kind of went sort of in the middle. They went into the middle of they didn't get better, but they didn't get worse. But they did get a pretty funny guy in Dwight Howard. I mean, to tweet that you're going to a team and get everyone's hopes up. Like, you would have thought he was probably turning a corner. Remember, he was a head case in the locker room, and they basically gave him an ultimatum when he signed with L.A. the first time. Or they gave him an ultimatum when he signed with the Lakers this time around, saying, if you're a head case in this locker room, you're not going to have a future. And it turns out he had a future. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you for listening, and remember... If you ever want a point that you just want to get up, just tell the person next to you, shut up and let me speak.